we get to, to learn from these men who did just that. They literally, physically, tangibly, visibly walked with God for, for over three years as Jesus walked this planet. As He walked this earth, they got to walk with Him and learn from Him. And so if you would be turned with me to Luke chapter 6 as we continue uh, this journey. It's interesting in this passage of Scripture, we see uh, Jesus doing something that I really appreciate, and that's using irony or, or sarcasm in some ways. But, but I, I, was re, I was reminded uh, just this week, God just has a way of reminding you of these things. So this past week, my wife, who I love, had a birthday. Uh, she gets younger every year, believe it or not, and I won't tell you how old she is because I don't want to get in trouble, but she's 31, and, and so she just she gets prettier and wiser every year. It's amazing how this happens. Well, Thursday, the day that was her birthday, she was getting late, uh, back late to school, and so I was on kid duty, which meant that I had to go uh, pick up the kids, or I got to go pick up the kids. Let me rephrase that. But, um, and so it's her birthday, and I'm thinking, what can I do to make it special? Well, across the street from their school, not that I hadn't thought about it all day, but across the street from their school, there's this really fancy you know, a uh, cupcake place. It's a cupcake place that has cupcakes and it has, you know, fancy stuff in it. Anyway, a girly place. And, and they, it looked like, hey, that's something that my wife would like. So I go in there, like, hey, I need a cupcake or two for my wife for her birthday because I love her and I'm thoughtful and all these things. Well, it turns out that it's bakery week or something like that, which meant that I get a dozen cupcakes for the same price as I could have got six cupcakes for I'm a sucker, so I said, sure, why not? Sounds good, right? And so now I go from trying to find a cupcake to finding 12 cupcakes, and hopefully within these 12 I can find one that she likes. Right? That's, so that's what I'm thinking, and I'm looking at the cupcakes, and they're super creative with cupcake names, but not very descriptive. Have you guys ever noticed that? Like the fancier the place is, you have no idea what you're actually getting. Like, I, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Can you tell me what that is? And so for, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to figure out what cupcakes to get. I have my children with me in this place with all these glass objects that they want to touch and hold. And so I'm trying to corral them as I'm looking at the cupcakes and they're telling me which cupcake they want. And I'm having to ask the, this poor lady, you know, what is this cupcake? What is this one? What is this one? And so finally we get 11 cupcakes and a cookie triangle that's covered in icing. That's what Zoe wanted, and so you know, she licked the icing off. She actually ate the cookie too, which is amazing. But anyway, so I get this big box of cupcakes. We come back out, and I get the kids in the car. Everything is great, and I put the cupcakes in the, in the seat beside me, and I look up, and the, the name of this, the place is Bliss, and it's got like a big cupcake on it. It looks amazing. I got like 10,000 calories sitting next to me. And as I'm looking at the sign... Like within view, I mean, it's almost touching the same place. There's this other sign that says revolutionary weight loss uh, program. And I was like, that's good right there. Like that's hilarious. I, I mean, they're like touching each other. You know, you can get 10,000 calories and learn how to lose it all tomorrow. It's amazing that the world that we live in. Well, Jesus, he loves to put things together that don't make sense just as much as cupcakes and revolutionary weight loss. You, you see, as we look at this passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, Jesus, what he does is he takes one thing that we would think is this, and he makes it that. He says, happy or blessed are you people who are poor. He says, happy or blessed are you people that are hungry. And he goes through and he lists all these things out. 
And as he does, each time he does it, he says something completely opposite of what we would expect. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to look at it from the perspective of thinking about how Jesus turns our life upside down, how he turns the way that we look at the world upside down and, and takes things that, and puts them together that don't always make sense to us. It, before we get there, though, I set us up, but now let me back up a little bit so you can understand where he preaches this sermon. Uh, in verse 12 of Luke 6, let me read this to you. Last week we talked about how the, the, the disciples and Jesus are at odds with the religious leaders. They've decided they want to kill him. They've decided they don't like him. And so they're trying to figure out how to get rid of him. And, and Luke tells us in verse 12 of Luke 6, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And so Jesus takes all night to pray to the Lord as he gets ready to make another decision. See, he's reaching that moment where these people are going to begin to figure out how to try and kill him. And he's also about to call his 12 apostles out of his disciples. Well, before he does that, he goes up on the mountain by himself and he prays all night long, which is a big deal, right? I mean, usually when I'm up all night, I'm praying that God would help me go to sleep. Like, that's, <laughs> last night, I was, it was like 3 o'clock, I'm like, God, I got like an hour and a half before I got to get up. I need some sleep. But that, so that's my prayers. Jesus is, of course, much more spiritual because he's Jesus. He prays through the night before he figures out the disciples, which disciples he's going to call. And so look at verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who, who was called the Zealot. So a bunch of ordinary guys. We don't really know much about any of them. We know Levi, or Matthew, was a tax collector. We know James, and John, uh, and Peter were all fishermen, and, and we really don't know a whole lot about the other guys. But then look at verse 16. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. As I was getting ready for this and reading back through this list, <laughs> it's just, can you imagine being Judas, not Iscariot? Like, there's two apostles named Judas. One of them had Jesus killed for money, and the other one gets to go around the rest of his life being, I'm Judas the apostle, not Iscariot. Like, that's, that's how you're known. I'm not the one who betrayed Jesus. But anyway, and so you have these people who are normal, everyday people. You come to verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 18 says, Who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out of him, out from him, and healed them all. And so now we get the setting for the sermon Jesus is about to preach. Think about this. He has these, his 12 chosen apostles out of all his disciples, ordinary guys. And then outside of that, you have this uh, humongous crowd of other disciples that didn't get chosen, right? And, and so, but anyway, so they're there and they're listening. And then you have everybody else that just wants to be healed. And it says, Luke says that there's so much power in Jesus that they just run up and they touch him and he heals them all. Just imagine this whirlwind of activity going on around Jesus. Imagine, it, basically what Luke says is the whole nation came out to hear what Jesus has to say. And then, of course, mixed in with this crowd are the religious leaders still trying to figure out how they're going to get rid of him. And so Jesus looks at them in verse 20. I told you we were going to 
verse 20. I know you're probably starting to doubt me, but verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And like I said, I mean, this is opposite of what we would think. This is sort of like, blessed are you who ate a cupcake because you just lost 10 pounds. It doesn't make any sense, but that's the way Jesus teaches. And he wants to teach us something by saying, blessed or happy are you who are poor. You have God's smiling face upon you because the kingdom of God is coming for you. You are truly blessed. That would have been opposite of the way everyone in that culture would have thought. In fact, they would have thought if God really loved you, you would have been born in a different situation. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be poor. Now, this isn't what the Old Testament taught, and God tried to over and over again teach his people that, you know, that uh, poor people were to be blessed and that poor people were to be honored and taken care of. But his people never really got that through their heads. In fact, at one point, Jesus is teaching, and he says it's easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples' response is, if that's true, then who can be saved? Like, if rich people can't be saved, there's no hope for us. And so this is the way they think about the world uh, around them. And so Jesus is coming in, and he's turning their worldview up on its head and saying, you don't think about the world the way you ought to think about the world. In fact, the people you think are cursed, God actually loves and has his kingdom in store for them. Another qualifier here is poor in Jesus' day doesn't mean the same thing as poor means today. In Jesus' day, if you were poor, that meant you worked all day and hoped at the end of the day you got paid enough to eat for that day. In Jesus' day, someone who was poor may or may not have a place to sleep, may or may not have food one day to the next. And it wasn't that they just simply sat around all day and hoped that someone would give them some. It's simply the fact that they had no way to make money. They had no way to better themselves. In that culture, if you were born poor, you stayed poor. doesn't matter how smart you are. doesn't matter how hard you work. You're not getting out of your situation. If you didn't have land, if you didn't have some resource that you could tap into to get you out of your situation, you weren't getting out. This is not the land of opportunity. This is the land of slavery, where if you worked really hard for your boss, you got to not die. You didn't get a promotion. Now, there were, there were guys who worked, like Jesus, who was a carpenter, like Peter and James and John, who were fishermen, but they still, they're not increasing their uh, social status. They're trying to support their family one day to the next. Each day is a new day. And so what Jesus is doing is he's looking at these guys and he's saying, listen, just because you're poor doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Just because you were born into a hopeless economic situation doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God's love for you can't be measured by the size of your bank account. It can't be measured by the amount of stuff you have. In fact, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're headed to the place where the streets are paved with gold and money means nothing. Jesus is not saying because you're poor, you get a free pass to heaven. That'd be pretty nice, right? Let's all quit our jobs and just be poor. We, we can do that, right? I mean, 
But that's not what he's saying. He, he said, blessed are the poor, not blessed are the lazy. There's two different things there. But, and so these people, like, they have no opportunity to, to grow out of their situation. And so Jesus says, don't worry, God's got you. Trust in him, believe on him, he loves you. And from there he says, blessed are the hungry, because you will be filled. God's going to provide what you need. Doesn't, just because you don't have food today doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He says, blessed are you who mourn, for you shall laugh. Couldn't help as I read that, but to think about in Revelation where it says that one day he'll wipe every tear from our eye. It's not that he's all of a sudden going to make your world so much better. It's that you have something better than this world to look forward to. The problem is, is when we approach life as if unless my life gets better, that means God doesn't love me, we miss it. That's not the point. The point is there's something better to be had. And God's love for us can't be determined by our physical circumstances. It also can't be determined by what people around us think of us. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. <laughs> Again, blessed are God loves you as people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you, talk meanly about you, basically. Spurn your name as evil. Use your name as a cuss word. On account of the Son of Man. Notice it's on the account of the Son of Man, not on you just being a jerk. Like You don't get a pass just because... Anyway, verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. You're in good company if everyone around you hates you because of your relationship with Christ. Jesus' point here is that God's care for us, God's concern for us is not based on other people's opinion. It's not based on a, a poll that says whether or not we're right. In fact, Jesus says that these people have been killing people who spoke God's word to them forever. Like That's what they did. Their ancestors killed the people that God sent to them because they didn't want to hear what God had to say. This is what's been going on in this nation. They had been hearing from God. We don't want to hear you. So they killed them. And so Jesus says, think before you start basing your self-worth. Think before you start basing your relationship with God on what everybody around you thinks of you. Because there's really only one person whose opinion matters of you, and that's God. We have to be careful when we start thinking that we can decide our ethical or our moral standing based on majority vote. That's not how it works. We have God's Word, and everything else is just opinion. It doesn't matter how many people think it. Outside of God's Word, we have no source of truth. And so we, we have to take the approach when it comes to this world and what people think of us, uh, sort of like the I'm old enough now, it doesn't matter approach. I don't know how else to put that. But it seems like as I get older, I care less about what folks around me think about me. I don't know if that's a normal thing to happen, but like, <laughs> like yesterday. So uh, this time of year... We finally get to ride around with the windows down. It's nice, right? Like it's the, one of the two days a year where the sunroof in my forerunner actually has a purpose. I can actually open it and not get scalded. Uh, you know, but anyway, uh, and so I'd been out at mom and dad's. We'd been, I'd been sort of watching dad move some deer stands around, getting, waiting on him to get things ready so I can go hunting, that sort of thing. Uh, and I got the kids. We get back in the car and we start heading back home. It's just me and them two. And of course, we've got to have the windows down. And the sunroof open. So, so picture everybody can see your face and hear everything that's going on in the car. Well, we've gotten in the habit of sort of letting the kids every now and then pick what songs they want to listen to. 
And I don't know if you know this or not, but now all of a sudden every kid's movie has like a soundtrack that's available that you can listen to over and over and over again. It's wonderful. Welcome to the modern age, right? And, and so I let them pick, and we're listening to these different songs going down the road, and, and we get to the end of Fox Pass. We, I pull out, and then I pull into the, the gorge there by Mickey's, and I get to the other end of the gorge. I'm getting ready to pull out on Grand Avenue. We're blaring kid songs the whole way. And I begin to realize we're approaching the moment where all the cars around us are going to be able to see who I am and hear what we're listening to. What's going to happen to my pride at that moment, right? And, and to top it all off, my little girl has uh, discovered Taylor Swift. I don't know if you know who that is. We let her listen to Taylor Swift. If you want to judge me, that's fine. But, but anyway, I mean, I feel like it's important. She needs to learn that Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. I learned that the other day. So, you know, anyway, but she says it over and over again. I finally got that in my head. But, and so, and I may have actually sang along with her just a little bit, just to encourage her. But we're, we're getting closer to the, to the stoplight. And I know up here we're going to stop, and everyone's going to hear what we're listening to. And Zoe says, it's my turn, Dad. I want to listen to Taylor Swift. And so we're listening. And I have to make a decision. Do I allow her to choose a song or do I not? My pride is on the line here. My reputation is on the line. I have to make a choice. Do I listen to this precious little princess and what she says? Or do I allow these people around me to dictate what I do? And all of a sudden, it sort of clicked. Like this passage sort of clicked in my head. Like, does it really matter? Like, prayerfully, none of these people will I ever see again. You know, hopefully it's not anybody I know. But, but even, you know, of course, you, know, you never know who's going to be at the stoplight. But I have to ask myself, who do I care more about impressing right now? My little girl who I love, who I want to make happy in this moment? Or these people who I really don't care what they think anyway? And so we listen to Taylor Swift. And I even tried to do a move. She told me that was too much, and I stopped. And, and we moved on. But, but guys, we have to get it through our head. Like, who matters more? The king of the universe who died to set us free and give us life eternal or all these people who hate truth anyway? At the moment, tomorrow at work, tomorrow at school, tomorrow in the grocery store, wherever, and you're tempted to say, you know what, I might be a little embarrassed of what Jesus has told me to do. I might be a little embarrassed of what I've been called to do. What will these people think of me? Don't base who you are on what they think. Base who you are on who he is. Because the truth is that the world is never going to be impressed with Jesus. They're never going to be happy with Jesus. They're never going to be like, wow, that's awesome. You know, If, if that's our goal, then we're missing it. Don't live your life based on what other people think of you. Don't live your life saying, well, you know, I'm just nothing now. Nobody likes me. That's Jesus and he who really matters. And so then he, he flips it. Let's look at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. That sure is encouraging, isn't it? 
And this word woe, uh, if you're not familiar with this term, this is a term that the prophets would have used uh, in the Old Testament when they were speaking to Israel and they're pronouncing curses. This word woe is a, is a proclamation of cursing. And so cursed are you who are rich, cursed are you who are full, cursed are you who are laughing, cursed are you who think uh, that it's based on what everybody thinks of you and everybody likes you. Now Jesus is speaking in an exaggeration. He doesn't mean just like being just poor gets you an invitation to heaven. That's not what he meant. And he doesn't mean here being rich gets you an invitation to hell. That's not his point. His point is, is that if your riches are your joy, you better really enjoy them because that's all you're getting. I, I, what, what he's getting at is if the source of your pleasure is in what you have and in not who has you, well, then you have a bad day in front of you. If your whole goal in life is more money, congratulations, you've received your reward. That's all you have to look forward to. If your whole goal in life is to make sure you have plenty without any regard to anyone else, that's great, but just know there's coming a day when you'll have nothing. If everything that makes you happy is physical and not on Christ and not on God, Make sure you laugh a lot because there's coming a day when you're going to do nothing but cry. And, and, and hear me on this, guys, because it's not just true on the spiritual level. It's true on the physical level as well. We know this to be true for ourselves. Because, think, think about it in this term. It's not just in a churchy way, but in an in a everyday, go-out uh, kind of way. If you put all of your hope and all of your trust, say, in your job, what happens the day you lose your job? You put all your hope, all your love, all your trust in someone you love. What happens today? You lose that person. You put all your love, all your hope, all your trust in your friends. What happens today? They stab you in the back because they will. You will find in that day tears. In that day you will find emptiness. If you put your hopes and your dreams in this world, then just know bad days are ahead of you. Know that those days ahead of you are not to be looked forward to. Don't assume that because everyone around you likes you and thinks you're right, that you and God are cool. Like, okay, well, everybody else thinks I'm right, therefore I must be right. Something, something I've learned recently is that sometimes the reason people don't argue with you is because they've given up trying to change your mind. My wife giggled. I don't know why. But anyway, we, we spend a, they learn I can't change this guy's mind. I can't change their, their thought process. I'm just giving up. Sometimes that's why everybody seems to agree with you all the time. They're just tired of arguing with you. And sometimes it's because you're telling them exactly what they want to hear. Sometimes it's because you're not even speaking any real truth. You're just tickling their ears, and you're just making sure you don't say anything that's offensive. And this, this is what Jesus says when he talks about this group of people. He says, don't be impressed by the fact that everybody around you thinks you're right. They praise the false prophets too. Guys, the false prophets were a group of people who pretended to speak on God's behalf. And so they would stand up and say to God's people in a time where they're burning their babies in the fire, you guys don't worry about it. God loves you anyway. You can just keep on doing that. He doesn't care. Nothing will ever happen to you. In the days before God sends in uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his army to destroy Jerusalem, uh, there are prophets in the city of Jerusalem who are saying, don't worry, we got the temple. God would never allow the temple to be destroyed. 
the whole time there's one guy named Jeremiah it's like hey listen we ain't done right God is about to come down on us Whenever, and guess who everybody liked the people who told him it was all going to be okay don't worry about it your choices have no effect on your future it's just not true sometimes we need to speak hard truth to folks and if no one ever disagrees with us maybe it's because we're never actually challenging them and guys if you're never challenged if you always agree with the people you listen to, you may be listening to the wrong people. Like if you're never pushed, if you're never challenged, if you're never offended, there may be a problem with who you're listening to. If you're all the time you go around and say, or, or this is something that I'm afflicted with and you may be with it too, I listen to someone and I say, they're right, that's exactly what I think. Don't I ever have that happen? They're exactly right, I was already thinking that. Oh, yeah, so you agree with me, so I'll listen to you. Sometimes it's hard to listen to people we don't agree with, isn't it? But sometimes that's where I learn the most, is listening to people I don't necessarily agree with to hear the other side. And maybe they teach me something, maybe I, I don't learn anything, I don't know. But I never find out unless I actually listen to them. So don't, don't shut yourself off from the people you necessarily don't agree with. And so uh, all of that to say, the world, the way that we see it, is upside down when Jesus gets done with it. And so what does this look like? Look at verse 27. I know we're um, getting close to time, but I, I want to spend just a few moments here on verse 27 down through 36. It's a bit um, zealous on my part, but I feel like you guys can handle it. Here we go. But verse 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You notice that Jesus at every moment here is telling us to do the opposite of what our flesh, what our sinful desires would want to do, which is curse our enemies, which is beat up whoever hits us, which is take back whatever anybody steals from us. Again, he's using exaggeration. He doesn't mean go out and let yourself be robbed and beat up. That's not his point. His point is don't demand your rights. Look to help others. Verse 32, here's his point. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Hear what Jesus is saying to us this morning. What a lot of us call good deeds is just good business. What a lot of us consider as our good deeds are nothing more than good business practices. Take care of those who take care of you. Everyone has the sense to do that, or at least most people do. If you don't have the sense to do that, you're foolish. Jesus says here to pray for the people who hurt us, to pray for the people who hate us, to pray God's blessings down on them, 
Not like the, the country song from a couple of years ago. I guess it's been like nine years ago now. But this guy said that he went to church and the preacher told him to, to pray for the people who'd done him wrong. And so he's praying for his ex. And he said, darling, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that a flower pot falls on your head. I'm praying that the brakes on your car go out going down a hill. Like he goes through all this and he said, just know wherever you are, I'm praying for you. That's not what Jesus means. He means pray that God would bless them. Pray that they would experience God's favor. That's where we're called to be to do good for those who can't do anything for us. Guys, our natural tendency is to take care of those who can take care of us. It's to go and help out those who, even if they've never done anything for us, they may be able to on down the road because it's, all import- it's important to know people, right? It's all about who you know, making connections. And so the people with power and the people with you know, the earthly resources are the ones who receive all the, the praise. They're the ones who receive all of the the favors and the blessings from others. Well, because they can do stuff for the people who do those things for them. Jesus said that the real test of love, the real test of mercy, is when you show love to people who can't show any love to you. When you give to people who can never give to you. When you help people who could do nothing for you. He says that that's where real blessing comes in. That's where real good deeds begin. It's hard, right? It's hard to love some people. It's hard to show kindness to some people. There are some people that you feel like they could probably do well. Maybe the most loving thing I could do is smack them in the back of the head. Like, I mean, there's, there's some thoughts like that sometimes. And, and so it's hard to show what Jesus is saying to do here, but that's exactly what we're called to do. Guys, if we're nice to nice people, guess what? Everybody does that. At least most people do. So he says, don't, don't give yourself a pass just because you do good to people who do good to you. But instead, be kind to everyone and your reward in heaven will be great. Give to those who can never give you anything. Show grace to those who do not deserve it. Which is really what it comes down to, right? I mean, that's why it's hard. But they don't deserve it. They don't deserve me to be nice to them. Why should I do that? Look at verses 35 and 36. And this is where we'll end. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Do you hear what Jesus just did to us? Who's, who's ungrateful and evil? Right? So what he's saying is, be nice to everybody around you like your Father in Heaven is nice to you. Because what do you deserve from His hand? What have you done in order for Him to owe you something? He gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you food. He gives you shelter. And you take it for granted. You throw it back in His face. He gives you His Word. He gives you all of these things and you ignore Him. What's the last time you spent time with Him? And yet He, every day, He continues to pour out His blessings on you. Guys, what if God acted the way that we act? You know what? You never even sent me a thank you card. I'm not raising the sun up tomorrow. Good luck finding your way to work, right? What if He acted that way? I'm really thankful He doesn't. So let me ask you, how many of us can honestly say this morning we've never disobeyed Him? None of us. 
How many of us can honestly say this morning, we've never missed an opportunity to say, thank you, Lord, for this amazing gift? Jesus said, be merciful just like he is merciful. Be kind just like he is kind. Well, how is he kind? How is he merciful? He sent his own son to live a perfect life, the life that we could never live. And at the end of that life, to die in our place and ultimately to be raised up from death uh, to, to live forever. And he says, whoever would believe in me won't have to die, but will actually have eternal life, not because you deserve it, but because I love you. And so this week, as you go out and you encounter people who don't deserve your love, who don't deserve your kindness, who don't deserve anything from you. Remember how your father has treated you. Remember the kindness he has given to you. And say, Lord, how can I be kind? How can I show mercy?